0: Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Marriage Under Discipline, The Eradication of Vice, Book 5, written by Salome Verdad. A humorous femdom steampunk story. Entrapped by a curious codicil in his great aunt's will into a cruel regime of sexual denial. The hapless Archie Duntisborn continues to suffer at the hands of the British Women's Association for the Eradication of Vice. Locked into chastity by cruel tormentrix Evelyn Harper, and teased mercilessly by his coquettish fiancee Alyssa Bucklesham, Archie finds himself an unlikely hero of the Anarcho Syndicalist Federation, bitter enemies of the association. And now for your listening pleasure. An excerpt from Marriage Under Discipline.
1: A recap of the story thus far. A strange codicil to the will of his wealthy great-aunt renders financially embarrassed aristocrat idler Archie Dunstabon subject to the moral discipline of the British Women's Association for the Eradication of Vice, a fanatical organization dedicated to the suppression of all illicit sexual pleasure in the male sex. In return for much-needed stipends from his aunt's legacy, Archie is forced to wear a brass chastity cage under the stern supervision of Miss Evelyn Harper, a cruel beauty who allows him a weekly release but subjects him to merciless punishment for unpermitted or untimely ejaculation. In a permanent state of impotent and frustrated arousal, Archie is forced to attend weekly lectures at the Association's London Headquarters where he discovers that plans are in place to marry him off to Miss Ailsa Bucklesham, a young martinet, But the lecture also brings him into contact with Mr. Bruce Allstone, who introduces him to the Sons of the Serpent, a secret society of men who seek to subvert the discipline of the association, and to Mrs. Hennessy, an ageing Fenian and ex-prostitute, who fronts a bawdy house staffed by women revolutionaries, and run as an anarcho-syndicalist cooperative. Archie is delighted to discover that the women know of a means to provide him with sexual relief, even without unlocking the detested brass restrainer, but horrified to find that this relief is obtained by means of his anal ravishment, with a clockwork-powered strap-on dildo. A visit to the Bucklesham estate reveals to Archie that his wife-to-be and his future mother-in-law take great enjoyment in the maintenance of iron discipline over the males of the household, and that Miss Elsa seeks to enlist him in maximising her own sexual pleasure, even as she keeps him in a state of near-permanent denial. However, the British Women's Association for the Eradication of Vice is riven by factional dispute as to the most effective way to repress and control male sexuality. The hapless Archie finds himself caught between the party of his cock-teasing fiancée and that of his cruel tormentrix Miss Harper, as each seeks to recruit him to spy on the plans of the other. But the women of Mrs. Hennessy's anarcho-syndicalist brothel, who are dedicated enemies of the association, also recruit Archie as an agent in their struggle. Now on to the latest developments. It is a setback. No more than that. A severe setback, but we shall overcome it. Mrs. Sandwich pulls on her cigarette holder and then exhales a cloud of scented smoke. Both she and Miss Bucklesham are smoking cheroots in opera-length holders. Archie is in Mrs. Sandwich's parlour-cum office, in the premises of the British Women's Association for the Eradication of Vice, having received by pneumatic telegraph an invitation to a meeting from his fiancée, Miss Elsa Bucklesham. Despite the smoke from the latest cigarettes, Archie can detect an underlying odour of cordite that reminds him of his brief and unsuccessful career in the officer's training corps at his public school. Indeed we shall, says his fiancée. That they should adopt such desperate measures is an indication that they feel themselves to be losing their grip on the association. If they thought that they might retain control, they would never do such a thing. Archie, ignored, takes in the details of the room. He does not think that it was in such a state of disarray on his previous visit. Papers are piled on every available surface, some of them with burnt edges. The telegraph machine in the corner is silent. The Lovelace engine cannot be repaired, says Mrs Sandridge, and the information that was contained in the Jacquard cards will have to be gathered and compiled all over again. We have lost many months of work. To think that women with whom we have worked together for so many years would do such a thing. Of course. They did not do it themselves, Trills Miss Bucklesham. The thought of Miss Jeans skulking around with an infernal device under her arm is more than a little ridiculous. Can you really be so sure that it was the work of your opponents? asks Archie. The news telegraphs all said that Russian nihilists were responsible. The two women looked at him with mild amusement. It is the first time he has joined in the conversation, in almost half an hour. Archie, dearest, don't trouble yourself with things that don't really concern you, says Miss Bucklesham. You know how big thoughts exhaust you. Quite so, Mr Dunstiborne, adds Mrs Sandridge. In any case... The news telegraphs have printed what we told them to print. All the most important editors are under discipline now. This last phrase brings a sly smile to her visage. It would not do at all for persons of importance to know how deep run the divisions within the association, Archie, says his fiancée. Not when we are so close to. Mrs Sandridge lifts a gloved hand and Miss Bucklesham breaks off. But, in a sense, this does concern Mr. Dunsterborn, says Mrs. Sandridge. She breathes another cloud of smoke over him and adjusts her pince nez slightly. We will respond to this attack by redoubling our efforts on other fronts. It will be necessary to bring forward the date of your nuptials, Elsa. Mr. Dunsteborn has important work to do for us in Parliament, and for that he must be a married man. Look, I think you should know that I'm really not at all interested in... begins Archie, but his voice trails away as it becomes clear that neither woman is listening to him. Oh, but that's delightful, says Miss Bucklesham. Archie and I are simply dying to be married. Aren't we, dearest? She pats him on the leg, a little higher than is entirely decorous. And then she slides her hand a little higher still, caressing his inner thigh. Archie feels his member grow within the brass restrainer that holds it captive. It is three weeks since he was last permitted to spend. Miss Bucklesham thinks it has been six weeks. She does not know about the unauthorised relief he has received at the hands of his newfound anarchist comrades. At the mention of his upcoming wedding, Archie nods uncertainly he had at first entertained hope that marriage to Miss Bucklesham might lead to some relaxation of the regime of chastity that has been imposed upon him. However, since his visit to Bucklesham Towers, such hope has faded. His glimpse of the savage corporal discipline imposed by Mrs Bucklesham on the males of the family have begun to fill him with a sense of dread. "'Capital,' says Mrs Sandridge. I will make arrangements for a local agent to visit Mr. Dunsterborn to see about his adoption as a candidate by a conservative association. However, that does raise another issue. Go on, says Miss Bucklesham. Her hand has not moved from his thigh, and the constriction on his member is now distinctly uncomfortable. He is acutely aware of the curves of Miss Bucklesham's own thighs within her narrow skirt. As you know, Mr. Dunsterborn has proved most useful as a conduit of misinformation. His visits to Miss Harper, during which she so painfully extracts our innermost counsels. Both women titter with amusement. Archie cannot help noticing the tremor that shakes Mrs. Sandridge's breasts, which seem more prominent and more attractive than had struck him hitherto seems to be entirely convincing to the Jeans faction. But on his marriage to you, these visits must of necessity cease. That is regrettable. I see, says Miss Bucklesham. She pouts and licks the end of her cigarette holder. What if Archie were to seek out Miss Harper and ask that their arrangements continue after we are wed? He could say that I permit him no release at all, and that he would provide information in exchange for relief. That would be most irregular, says Mrs Sandridge. Miss Harper may be misguided, but she is no fool. She could easily suspect that she was being deliberately misled. Oh, I'm sure that I could help Archie to make his plea. Very convincing, says Miss Bucklesham with a wicked smile. It would involve certain sacrifices on my part, and on Archie's. But we are willing to do anything for the cause, aren't we, dearest? Well, it's certainly worth a try, says Mrs Sandridge, though it's asking a lot of him to maintain the deception. I can hardly bear to think what they might do to Mr Dunsterborn if they were to find out. But they wouldn't find him out, says Miss Bucklesham. We can easily make sure he doesn't know anything other than what we want him to disclose. Three cheers for Brother Dunstaborn, calls a heavily accented woman's voice. There is a rugged chorus of hoorays and much clinking of glasses. A very mixed group of working men, bohemians and scantily dressed women crowd around Archie, taking turns to clap him on the back and toast his good health. Archie is at Mrs. Hennessy's anarcho-syndicalist brothel. A cryptic invitation, delivered this morning by telegraph capsule, turned out to be for a party held in his own honour, to celebrate his achievement in enabling the planting of the infernal device. For a moment he had been minded to protest that he had only unlocked an unguarded door, and that had he have known that it would be used to smuggle in an explosive, then his reticence might have got the better even of his loathing for the association. For once, though, he is wise enough to say nothing. Soon he begins to feel a little proud of his bravery after all, and to accept the congratulations in the spirit with which they are offered. In truth, Archie finds it a rare pleasure to be something of a hero. It is a pleasure, too, to be drinking again. Despite occasional visits to the pub with the Sons of the Serpent, Archie has found that his consumption of alcohol has waned somewhat, since he has been under the association's regime of enforced chastity. Boozing, like smoking, has always been associated with whoring in his social life, and the absence of the latter vice has detracted from his enjoyment of the others. Now he is matching the other partygoers glass for glass. The working men are mainly drinking dark beer, chased with small shots of cheap gin. The women residents of the brothel are downing more exotic liqueur. Over in the corner, three of them are intensely involved with a complex ritual involving a bottle of bright green fluid that he believes might be absinthe. Archie does not care. He takes a glass here, a swig from the bottle there. The young anarchist women embrace him as a comrade. Miss Common pays him particular attention and more than once kisses him full on the mouth. As she presses her leather clad breasts against him, he is aware of his cock, full and swollen, constricted by the bars of its brass cage. For the hundredth time, he curses his fate, but he is aware that were it not for the device that he must wear, he would not be here at all, would not be a hero, would not be the subject of all these women's attention. The crushing pressure on his member, and the heavy swelling in his balls, which he knows must be dark with blood, are painful. And yet there is also a kind of sad pleasure in the constant arousal to which he is doomed. The party is in full swing. The gaslights roar and cast odd shadows on the revellers on the bare walls. Several are dancing to ragtime music that blares from an electrophone receiver. The beat is infectious, and Archie begins to swing his hips from side to side. A few of the other partygoers are joining in a complicated and unfamiliar dance that involves sudden jerking movements of feet and knees. Archie suspects that he could get the hang of it, with suitable instruction and practice. One of the dancers, a young woman who he takes to be one of the anarchists, smiles at him, and he grins back at her. There is a hand on the small of his back. He turns, and there is Peggy, the elfin featured young Irish woman who had visited him in his lodgings, and had, together with her dark-haired friend Bridie, who he now sees is also present, subjected him to a rough fisting, before recruiting him to the purposes of the anarcho Syndicalist Federation. Now both women are greeting him with warm and somewhat physical affection. Peggy slips her hand around his waist and pulls him towards her, so that he can feel her small pale breasts pushing against his chest. Bridie rests a gloved hand on his shoulder, then reaches up to caress the side of his face. Archie! exclaims Peggy, with a delighted grin. Aren't you the man of the hour? A proper champion you are, adds Bridie, and deserving of a proper reward for your bravery, don't you know? She pats his bottom, and her hand lingers for a second. All in good time, says Peggy, with mock strictness towards Bridie. Even in the dim light of the brothel, Archie can see how bright are her green eyes. After your audience with herself, she nods towards a curtained-off section of the main room. The two young women push him towards the curtain, and then through. Inside, Mrs. Hennessy, wrapped in a dark shawl, and looking more than ever the image of the old queen, sits at a bureau. There are posters on the walls for long-forgotten strikes and rallies and a portrait of a bearded man with a receding hairline. Books in several languages are strewn on the floor.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Marriage Under Discipline. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.